Welcome to Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever, a podcast for the thinking Washington Wizards fan. My name is Ben Becker. My co-host, as always, is Kevin Broom. Hello, Kevin Broom. Hey, Ben. The uh, the sting of the Wizards' playoff exit has worn off. Uh, not that it was that bad in the first place, because sort of felt like they lost to a better team. Mm-hmm. We uh, will definitely get into that. We will... Uh, unpacked game six and seven a little bit, the whys and hows of uh, the Wizards' playoff exit. We'll talk about some of the narratives that have come out of this series and, of course, where the Wizards go from here. Mm -hmm. So, Kevin, my first question for you is, why did the Wizards lose this series? (laughs) That's a great question. I mean, it really comes down to they couldn't defend. They didn't do a good job of defending and you know, staying, um, I guess, in front of Isaiah Thomas, that was probably the big, single biggest thing. I mean, other guys, and then of course in Game Seven, there was Kelly Olynyk having one of those games that you get, you know, in the playoffs sometimes, or you get in the regular season, where some guy who's a bench guy just suddenly explodes and does something amazing, has the game of his life, and you lose because of it. You know, that happens. Yeah, Kelly Olynyk had the Kelly Olynyk game, and. Um... The Brandon Jennings game that we had discussed as a possibility after he signed never happened. There was, I think, the Brandon Jennings sequence um, in the Atlanta series, but we'll talk about Jennings a little later and just what a disaster he was. But on on the defense side of things, I I tend to agree with that. I mean, the Wizards did a good job in, in game six defensively. And um, but game seven, as in really all the games in in Boston, the Wizards couldn't stop the Celtics. Some of that, I'm sure, lays at the feet of the Wizards' primary players not executing what what they could and what they were supposed to do. Uh, but but some of that, I think, also plays into the larger narrative of of this series, which is, you know, the Wizards had five guys and the Celtics had eight or nine and over the course of a of a grueling seven game series uh, the the wizards just they they didn't have enough horses and and boston was able to wear them down and they were able to exploit the wizards defensively because the wizards were tired if you look at some of those olenic plays particularly late in the fourth quarter the wizards just they, they couldn't move on defense anymore yeah and um it it just seems like that the clock finally struck 12 on on the Wizards' lack of depth and and Boston was able to outlast them. Does that does that narrative hold water with you? Yeah, I can see that. You know the the Wizards. Except my only quibble is I would say the Wizards actually had like four because Marquise Morris had a really un, uh, disappointing playoffs. He I don't think he had a couple good games, but for the most part he was not very good at all um, throughout the playoffs. Um, Gortat. You know, it's interesting when you look at the numbers. Uh, Wall and Porter were basically their versions of the regular season. I mean, they sort of compensated for things that they didn't well. Like Porter, for example, in the playoffs did not shoot three very well, but he shot two very well, the twos very well. He rebounded, he played defense. He did all all the auto-Porter stuff you would typically expect him to do, except he didn't shoot particularly well from three-point range. And yet his overall offensive efficiency was about the same in the playoffs as it was in the regular season. Same thing with Wall. You know, his PPA was basically right where it was in the you know at the regular season, and the big 
declines, the reason that the Wizards didn't win is, you know, Beal didn't have uh, great playoffs except for, you know, the last couple games of the Boston series. He was terrific. And uh, Gortat was down a little, but he was pretty much his regular season version of himself for the most part. And uh, Markeith Morris, like I said, had a bad playoffs. And, of course, everybody on the bench was bad uh, as well. You know, except Bogdanovich, who was basically regular season version of himself, which means that he would have a good game and then he would have terrible games. That's that that was his pattern. Well, I th- I think we need to spend a little bit of time going player by player on on the Wizards' main guys. Mm-hmm. It, it, let, let's start with Wall, particularly b- because you and I just noticed, um, you know, the narrative machine yeah. and and the way that 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 sports media exists right now I mean, this is just a very interesting moment in time with how perceptions of players uh, are exist and 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 how they change so quickly but you know John wall makes what can only be characterized as a bad shot at the end of game six to to, to put the wizards in the lead they're able to take advantage of a mistake by the clock operator to uh, to hold on to win game six. And all of a sudden, and, and John Wall, in a move that I loved, by the way, he jumps up on the scores table. Oh, I loved it too. Uh, and, and, and in uh, Ben Standig's conversation with Dan Steinberg, which I, I, I fully recommend because there's a lot of great discussion about the Wizards' connection to the fan base. I mean, that was just... Uh, that was a wonderful moment of of John really, you know, connecting with the fans. It it, it really energized people. It was just a very cool moment. Not uh, you know, but but so there's he hits that shot, and all of a sudden, you know, John's clutch. John's <laughs> arrived as a superstar. He's the second best player in the East, and you and I are sort of looking at each other, saying they had time to get a better shot. He's a thirty. You know, low thirties percentage three point shooter. If you're the Celtics and and that's the shot you lose lose on, you you can live with it. Yeah. I mean, what what's the expected value? I'm not asking for an answer, but you know, rhetorically, what's the expected value on a on a three pointer off the dribble from a guy who, who shoots at John's percentage from from that distance behind the line? You you just kind of tip your hat and yeah, and say. I, I mean, I think okay. if you're Boston, like you say, you. You're perfectly happy. Well, you're not perfectly happy. You're disappointed that you lost. But, I mean, if Boston could choose a shot for the Wizards to take, you know, that you that that might be the shot. <laughs> that they would say, yeah, let's let Wall yeah. go ahead and shoot a 28-foot three-pointer off of a dribble. I think that they can live with that. That's what, a shot that you would say, okay, especially, you know, they had a hand in his face. So, but, yeah. you know, and so the, all of that stuff, that he's the second best player in the East and all this kind of stuff... It, I guess you could, you could made have could have made the argument at that point that he was like the second best player, still remaining, you know, in the playing in the playoffs in the East. I could sort of maybe accept that argument, but let's also keep well, in mind. Uh, let's mean, also keep in mind that the, the one of the reasons why that shot be, was necessary was that Wall played such a poor game, you know. And I'm not saying this to like trash him or anything, but he was nine for twenty five shooting in that game. He took used 32 possessions to score 26 points. And uh, that's that's not efficient. <laughs> and uh, if Wall had played a better game, you know, the Wizards may have just won that game pretty handily, pretty comfortably, and not needed heroics. 
And this is, again, I, I, I just want to say this. This is not to knock Wall. You know, that shot was great. It was an awesome moment. I loved it. I loved him jumping up there and celebrating. I loved, the you know, the that he stepped into it and he took that shot and he was, you know, ready to accept whatever came. But, I mean, let's also acknowledge the reality that he played a crappy game up to that point. You know, I mean, he he, he well, had his, he well, played, did some good, he had a lot of good plays. He helped, you know, keep him in and get them to back to that, get him to get them to that spot by making good plays, especially in the second half. But the, the whole game matters. And he played badly for much of that game. And then he hit a heroic shot. And so he's the hero. He deserves that. He deserves praise for making that shot and for taking that shot. But the the turning this into a sweeping, he's the best player, second best player, whatever, it goes too far. So so, so let's, let, let's talk about a couple things from that. So first of all, you know, my point was just that that narratives are silly. That that the big picture matters much more than than micro moments. Uh, agreed. Again, it's not that it wasn't a huge shot. It's not that I have any problem w- with John or anything like that. B- because as you pointed out initially, his performance over the course of the playoffs was w- was very good and was part of the reasons you know the Wizards had the success that they did. But if he misses that shot, if it rims out, the narrative is completely different. Yes. J- because the narrative is John Wall went eight for twenty-five in a in a closeout game at home, and you, you know he's he's not you know he's not on the level of blah blah blah. Right. And the truth of the matter is, you, you know, neither of those things are correct. Right. I, I mean, it it would have been true if if uh, if he had been eight for twenty-five that he had a bad game. Truth of the matter is, is overall. He, he he did have a bad game by his standards. What do you have uh, handy? What his game six PPA was? I, as a matter of fact, I just happened to have that open. I figured you might ask this question. His uh, PPA for game six was forty eight. Uh, and keep in mind so that in PPA, let, just to remind, yes, thank in, you. Yeah, PPA average is one hundred. And higher is better. So 45 is replacement level. The idea being that you could sign somebody off of the street, out of the D-League, who would produce about at the level of 45. The, the replacement level in PPA is set as at the worst 11th man in the league. And that's 45, uh, typically. Uh, you know, right. it fluctuates so, a little bit. So in other words, he was basically performed at replacement level in that game. Right. So I wouldn't go crazy with the... You know, with, with the reactions to the to that microanalysis, uh, you know, we're not saying for that game that the Wizards would have been better off with a uh, with a D League player. It, it's just by for con uh, from my standpoint, for context purposes, John Wall did not have a, a good game at all. Yes, he was very justified on his body of work being named a third team All NBA performer, but this if this had been his typical performance he he wouldn't have sniffed that or close right. now as we jump forward to game 7 mm-hmm. you know again 8 of 23 1 of 8 from 3 you, you know the narrative that you hear continually is uh, you know he missed his last 11 shots mm-hmm. but and and so he went from from hero to goat pretty fast but i imagine his his game seven PPA was even worse. Yeah, uh, his game seven PPA was thirty three. So if you think about it, you know his his in two closeout games he played very badly, 
And so you, so you could now, now you, oh, go ahead. So what I was going to say is in game six, the, you know, that we just talked about, he plays 42 minutes. In game seven, he plays 44 minutes. Okay. They get terrible, terrible production, if that's the word that you want to use, from from Brandon Jennings, the, the only backup guard to play, while the Celtics get, you know, are bringing Avery, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Marcus Smart and, uh, and Terry Rozier for, you know, for, for various, for, uh, for various quality minutes, but they're at least giving their starters, uh, some, some time off. And mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's not as an excuse to say that, to say that he played better than he did because I think you and I are, are pretty solid on the fact that he didn't play well but yeah. from a reason it certainly stands to reason that he he just ran out of gas he, he played a ton of minutes during the season coming off two knee surgeries he played a ton of minutes during the playoffs even more during these last two games and and and, and as much as people like to pretend otherwise NBA players are human and uh, fatigue makes cowards of, of us all, and and he just he, he didn't have his legs uh, when the uh, Wizards really needed him. I mean, that, I I think that's that's plausible, and it could also be, you know, he just had bad games. That happens, you know. That yeah, is not a referendum on him being tired, or because you know he had days of rest in between these games. I mean, between Game Six and Game Seven, they had two off days. You know, they practiced and stuff like that, I, I know. But they still had two off days. So, I mean, he should have been able to get enough rest to 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 be able to play well. But, you know, sometimes you just the shot doesn't go in, you know. And it's not you know because what? he I... has poor character. It's just the shots don't go. And, you know, if you look at him during at any point during the season, there are always two or three or four games where every player has a few bad games. And, unfortunately, it could just be that he had a couple bad games in Game 6 and Game 7. And we like to tell morality tales about these players when they how, based on how they perform in, in the playoffs. But, you know, I, I don't think Wall became any less clutch or more clutch than he had been throughout the season when he was he's a good player. And overall, like I say, over the course of the playoffs, his overall performance was about the same as it was in the regular season, which was quite good. Well, and 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 I, I I take that that point. Truth of the matter is, is that you know I, I hear myself maybe over assigning responsibility for his fading to the lack of a bench because it fits my narrative and mm-hmm. and my frustration with the the summer of of two thousand sixteen and how that played out this year. But but you're right. I, I, I mean, he may have just had a couple bad games and 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 fatigue's not the not the main reason or the driving force so it, it happens and you know having more good players can certainly mitigate the effects of of when that happens but you know it just it, it happens and and the wizards lost um yep. Bra- Bradley Beal was phenomenal in uh in game 7 um, 38 points on 22 shots, but as you pointed out, and 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 he was great in Game Six also. Yes. You know, 33 on 26 shots, but it really took him a while to get going, and 
you know, if he makes that open look at the end of game two, or just has a better overall performance earlier in the series, it it may not have come down to this. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, I, I liked seeing what I saw of him. I mean, I, I got a real kick out of watching him. I think I tweeted something about this during game seven, but his game looks so much like his off-season workout tapes. It's it's kind of funny. I mean, I love seeing it because that's the whole point of doing those off-season workouts, right? And to going through all of these moves, the step-back jumpers and the, the dribbles to, you know, reset your feet behind the three-point line. He does all of that stuff in the in the workout tapes. You see him drilling those things, and then you see him actually doing them in the games, those exact moves, the same dribbles, the same step-backs, the same resetting of his feet at the three-point line. I loved seeing it, and I loved seeing it in action, and it really struck me during Game 7 because there was, like, this sequence of, like, three or four moves where it was seriously like every move was taken directly from one of his workout tapes. He had that look, you know, he gets a look in his eyes when he's dialed in and he feels unstoppable. And for a while he sort of was. And to what we were just talking about with wall, you know, sometimes guys have bad games. Well, you know, he had a bad stretch early in the series and, Mm -hmm. and it happens. And, and thankfully he was able to, to, find himself but game six and seven Beal had been around in game one or game two you know we may not have seen game seven Beal because the the series may have ended in six but but overall but overall you know given where we were a year ago on Beal Mm -hmm. going into restricted free agency with the likelihood of a max contract and his his flat production over his first four seasons in the league and his injuries you know this season is incredibly encouraging for um for for him and 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 for the franchise frankly and we can get into that some in in our in our offseason dives but um yeah what a couple of things on Beal one is games 1 and 2 keep in mind we we should keep in mind that he was going against Avery Bradley for the most part and Bradley is a hell of a defender you know he his overall defensive impact in terms of like team you know the plus minus type stuff is not hasn't been huge during his career but he locks guys up and he's he's such a ball hawk um bradley is and he's real strong he's he's got that ability to strip the ball out um to to make steals off of the dribble and stuff that are clean that it you know he can swipe without fouling and that is a special thing and it may have taken Beal a few games to sort of figure out what he could do against Bradley. And uh, we saw that certainly in game six and seven. And then also I think they may have tried switching um, Bradley onto uh, wall at times as well to uh, try to get Isaiah Thomas off of him. Um, so that, that may have contributed to it as well. But I think some of what we saw was, was the learning um, with Beal. You know, you talk about his improvement from, you know, go back to last off season I mean, we were talking, if we had been podcasting last off season, we probably would have been talking about, was it wise for the Wizards to give Beal a max contract? And I think we would have acknowledged that that was the going rate. And so the Wizards doing it, it's like, okay, you know, he was going to get the max somewhere. But I had, I was nervous about it. I mean, I wrote a piece for Vice in which I suggested that Beal's contract could be one of the worst in the league, you know, could be, you know, the future um, overpay, you know, that sort of thing, because 
he'd been so average for four years, and players typically aren't just flat average for four years, and then suddenly, you know, all-star, borderline all-NBA level, which is what Beal did. And so very happy that, that that's what he did. He, you know, always recognized the potential. But like we said, he's very flat. I actually think that he should have been considered a pretty strong candidate for most improved player. The problem with that, though, is that I think the impression of him, the narrative, which is so often wrong when the, you know, the media narrative around the NBA is so often wrong, but the narrative around Beal was that he was already good. And so it's right. tough for him to get a most improved player when people already thought he was terrific. Um, right. In reality, he was pretty average. And so this year was his big jump. He improved a lot this year. All right. Let's talk about Otto a little bit. We're going to do a, a, a deep dive into Otto in a, in a future, soon future podcast as it relates to his, his, his restricted free agency and his likely very big contract. So we don't need to talk about that piece now, but, but there is, again, there's, there's a lot of narrative at play with Porter. You know, there was so much noise after, and understandably, frankly, there was so much noise after he didn't score in game six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and he took, he, he took just five shots from the field. You know, watching the game, I didn't feel like the Wizards did enough to have him just put his hands on the ball early and, that may have affected him over the course of the game, but at the end of the day, he didn't score. The Wizards were able to come out with a win. He still got, you know, seven boards, two assists, a steal, a block. Of course, because he's auto, he didn't turn it over. So right. as scoreless games go, it, it it probably wasn't the worst. Actually, out of curiosity, what was his game six PPA? Twenty five. So it was All right, a so still bad terrible for auto. Okay. You expect him. You uh, would expect somebody like him. I mean, he missed five shots. He missed all five of his shots. That's right. not good. Right. So, and then with the ultimate auto bounce back game in in game seven, twenty mm-hmm. points on ten shots from the field, ten boards, you know, two assists, two steals, a block, just the one turnover, just a a, a fantastic performance, and unfortunately, it it it, it wasn't quite enough. Um, for the team, but but overall, where where did his where was his playoff PPA and and how did that rate amongst the Wizards? So yeah, his playoff PPA was uh, one fifty nine. Uh, regular season, just to give the context on this, regular season he was one sixty one. So what we saw from Otto was same level of production, playoffs to regular regular season to playoffs. Excuse me. Where that ranks on the Wizards is second, right behind Wall. Um, Wall's PPA in the playoffs is 162. In the regular season, Wall's uh, PPA was uh, 165. So we're talking those two guys basically did what they did in the regular season. Um, Very little drop-off from either of them. Um, Yeah. The slight is just a minor fluctuation. Yeah, and and I would put a pin in, in the auto discussion by saying that it's pretty clear to me, and I believe to you, that he is one of their very best players. You know, you can you can split hairs on whether it's two or three or one, depending on the day, but he is a huge reason why they had a good season and why they almost got to the, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I mean, his hyper-efficiency was really valuable this year because it creates some of that gravity— 
you know, he's not he's not a guy like LeBron, for example, who literally just stand him in the corner and the defense has to totally account for him in every way. With Porter, he, I mean, he's not that. He's not a guy who's going to, like, break down the defense creating off the dribble. But he cuts to the right spots. He cuts to the basket well. He knows how to get open in the right spots. And he's a very safe guy. He catches the ball. He doesn't fumble it out of bounds. He doesn't dribble it off of his foot very much. You know, he, he shoots when he's open makes smart passes, makes smart plays, and that hyper-efficiency and his ability to hit threes, you know, you have to defend him all the time, and that creates openings for other people. And then when the defense is collapsed and he's left open, well, he's going to punish you for that. There's a lot of value in that. I think that they could do some things scheme-wise to make even better use of his shot-making ability and his uh, smart decisions uh, with the ball. But he he plays a valuable role, especially with a guy like with guys like Wall and Beal, who can create off the dribble. You know, can uh, break the defense down. You know, having a guy like Porter is is pretty valuable. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna dive into all of that in the future. Let's talk about let's talk about Marching Gortat a little bit. Total flashpoint on. On on Twitter during during the playoffs during Game Seven, people were just screaming their heads off about how you know March is a scrub, which really you know it's it's unfortunate because I he had a really good season and he does so much that just doesn't show up in the box score or 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 to the naked eye. You know he he doesn't he doesn't look the part of a modern NBA star so to speak. But obviously they're they're nowhere near nowhere near game seven and 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 their their overall season if he's if he's not there reliably durably etc. How how did you rate his overall performance in uh, in the postseason in this series in the closeout games etc. Sure, sure. Uh, post uh, for the entire playoffs. I've got his PPA at 129. Uh, in the regular season, it was 133. So again, with Gortat, you're getting basically what he provided in a regular season. Now, obviously, Game Seven was a pretty bad game. Uh, he, you know, two for six from the floor, that kind of thing. He he was not the his usual Gortat self. You know, he committed turnovers that he doesn't normally commit. You know, there are a lot of baseless charges leveled against Gortat. You know, for example. I've seen a, a number of sentiments from Wizards fans complaining about Gortat's inability to finish inside, for example. How many assists would John Wall have if he played with a center who could finish? Gortat is one of the best finishers in the league. Um, he has been one of the best finishers in the league for years. You know, at rim finisher, he's, he's among the best in the league, has been. For clarity on this, this year he shot 70%. Uh, on at rim attempts last year it was seventy percent. The year before is that, that it was seventy four percent. Yeah, that's terrific. Is that's that good be... to be able to make seventy percent of your shots, Kevin? Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's actually a good thing. And so, he, and you know, he catches the ball well and he finishes well. And oddly, he's he's not perfect, but he is very good at doing those things. Now, this year his production overall was down from what it had been previous years. Now that could be. 
that he's aging and he's declining. It could also be that he's just touching the ball less. He's, you know, shot the ball much less than he had in the past. His rebounding was about the same. His, you know, most of his other stats were kind of in just the normal range for Gertat. The big thing that happened this year is he got the ball less. His role in the offense was diminished, and so his overall production was down. And again, that could be that he is aging and not quite as capable as he used to be. I don't really see that. He looks to the eye just basically the way he's been looking, which is pretty good. And he's not great. He's not one of the top 10 centers in the league or anything like that, but he's a solid starting center. And he does a lot of things very well. And it's just kind of comical. People complain about him and then criticize things that he does well. If you're going to criticize him, talk about things he doesn't do well. Well, and and so uh, that that's a great point. That's where I was going. I, I mean, the, the Wizards were a good offensive team all year, and and the things that that Gortat did were um, were obviously a big part of that. Um, in, in the Atlanta series, you know, he, he was engaged in a very physical, very tough battle with Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 did a great job. Um, he, he did a, a, a nice job on, on rim protection defensively. You know, in the Boston series, he was put in a tough situation because Al Horford is really comfortable playing away and very effective playing away from the basket. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a good passer from the high post. Is, and Gortat, he's solid defensively. I, I think inside, on, on especially when it comes to rim protection, sometimes he rotates a little later than 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 you'd like but but you pull him away from the basket and um you know that exposes the wizards defense so when al horford makes 58 percent of his threes over the course of a series um yeah. uh, you know th- and then when they take at horford out of the game they bring in olenic who is the you know a true stretch five and it that right. those are tough covers for gortat because he also has the rim protection duties which are really important considering, especially against Boston, that you've got a guy like Isaiah Thomas who cannot be controlled on the perimeter. And, you know, the Wizards ended up doing some things interesting strategically, you know, overhelping. They were sending a third guy to help on pick and rolls really early. I mean, like almost before the screen was even set, they had a third guy coming coming over to try to cut down that the penetration and that worked in you know to get in games three and four not so much in game five although kind of sort of and then it, it it worked in game six didn't work at all in game seven you know they the Celtics had figured out how to counter it but you know they 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 did some things schematically but you know most a lot of big guys there aren't a lot of big guys who really defend well in out on the perimeter you know when it comes to to defense Gortat's you know, he, he has a positive defensive impact. He's about average for a center. You know, he's not exceptional defensively. He's okay. Well, I mean, he's not as good as Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green, so I think the Wizards should just cut him. That's a good point, yeah. Um, and look, <laughs> I mean, he, the other thing about about Gortat is that he's— he's the best that the Wizards have by far. And, yeah. again, you know— bringing the fatigue narrative back into it. Mahinmi and Smith, I think, were pretty awful over the last couple games of this series or over the over the playoffs in general. I, I think Mahinmi was was hurt, just sort of the naked eye, to the naked eye in the first stretch when he was 
back early in the season and and healthy, I thought he I was very impressed with his ability to um, to defend the pick and roll on the perimeter and to move and I just didn't see that here at all that you know he would isolate against uh, get isolated defensively against the Linux and it was a foul every time or Linux would get all the way to the basket and so Brooks would le- was left with a with a very difficult situation is either get burned with uh, with a gimpy Mahinmi get burned with a gimpy and and ineffective and complete hack of Jason Smith or play Gortat and 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 do your best and so it would have been great if if March didn't have a couple of brain fart turnovers in in game seven and it would have been nice if he had shot the ball better but but overall when I look at the team and the roster I don't say man they've got to improve at that starting center spot or there's just no way they're gonna they're they're gonna get to the next level if Gortat can bring next year what he did this year the Wizards should be good yeah, I agree. I, I don't think they need necessarily to upgrade, you know, except to the extent that you always want to upgrade wherever you can, of course. But I, I agree with you. Gortat is not a problem as he's performing at the level that he's that he's been performing at. You know, aside throw out you know a few bad games here and there, of course. But everybody has those. So the concern with Gortat, of course, is that he's getting to he's getting older. He's thirty three now. And he's still got a few years left on the contract. And, you know, bigs tend to age a little better. And I'll have to go back and during the summer do some research on his comps and see kind of where, you know, where he comes up. But the reality is with athletes over 30 is that this is the, you know, the further you get past 30, the, the further you are along to the road of having injuries, having just age-related declines and taking longer to get back from injuries, that kind of thing. So that's a concern. Yeah, the, if the Wizards the could find a way March. to... But the problem that they have, of course, is that if they, say, make a deal with to, to trade Gortat to get younger or something like that, is that, you know, they still they have Mahinmi, and I, I don't know about you, I wouldn't trust him as a starter. He's had one above-average season of his career, in his career. And, well, uh, and now he's coming year. off a... And now he's coming off a season just filled with injuries. It, the, the hope with the hope with Gortat is that for his age, he there he's a relatively low minute, low tread guy because of the amount of time he spent as a backup early in his career, and and just he keeps himself. He's known to keep himself in fantastic shape. As you said, he didn't show signs of physically breaking down this year. So the the hope is that that he ages well. And and the hope is also that that next year he he plays fewer minutes because Mahinmi will hopefully be healthy and be playing fifteen to twenty minutes a night uh, and and at reasonably effect, effectively against backups and so yeah if 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 next year is more the same with Mahinmi's injuries and his lack of production then the Wizards are going to have problems at center and and. But given their financial position, the only thing that we can really do is hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get to the offseason and what they can do, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I agree. So you mentioned that Marcus Morris... Uh, Marcus Morris. Marcus yeah. Morris, I thought... Marcus Morris was fantastic in his role of showing up at at at, uh, at his brother's games. 
Markeith Morris, now he was dealing with a nasty ankle injury, so yeah. who knows uh, how how much that well, what I would that say is that, in. that that he wasn't he didn't have an ankle injury against Atlanta, and he was terrible against Atlanta. You know, he hurt his game, he hurt his ankle later in the series, and that definite. I mean, later in the playoffs, what was that? I guess in Game One. Yep. Of against Boston, yeah, and yep. he, against Atlanta, he was he was awful, um, and it I would think that it affected his play at least somewhat against uh, Boston. At, you know, to my eye, it looked like he wasn't moving quite as well, you know, in the Boston series, even later in the series. But, you know, his performance overall, I, you, we mentioned this earlier, is very disappointing, I think. Would you have his playoff PPA as, or, or uh, and and do you have a breakdown for just the Boston series? I, I don't have it broken out just for the Boston series, but uh, I have his PPA for the playoffs at 72. And in the regular season... His PPA was 91, so he was yeah. close to average in the regular season, and he was solidly below average in the playoffs. And uh, game seven PPA in game seven was 78, so a pretty average game for him. And uh, game six, his PPA was a 35. So yeah. game six, by the way, was uh, pretty much a Bradley Beal show. Uh, his PPA in that one was uh, was 200. And the only real wow. help he had other than that was Gortat. And Gortat had a 102. Everybody else was below average for the Wizards. So let's let's stick with Keith for a second because this yeah. is a really interesting thing as it relates to PPA. You, you, you look at a couple things and you say, all right, he took 14 shots. Mm-hmm. He scored 18 points. Not bad. Not great, but not bad. That's Ten solid boards, efficiency. Two, two assists, a steal, and a block. So it's like, all right, he had a pretty good game. But... Four fouls, three turnovers. Last time we talked about um, the, the the effect of, of fouls, not just in terms of, of foul trouble and who that causes you to play, but just the the expect the points that you're expected to give up, etc. Et you know, four fouls and three turnovers that that clearly brought down his um, his game seven production significantly, and it's mm-hmm. something that we that we harp on all the time is that. When you're evaluating a player, you can't just cherry pick the good things. You have to look at the whole player. Yep. And for theoretical Morris, who I feel like um, imaginary, <laughs> imaginary. Thank you. Imaginary Morris is is someone who who doesn't who, who doesn't do the bad things. Right. Who, who doesn't take the bad shots. Who doesn't commit the bad fouls. Uh, who, who doesn't turn the ball over. And it's a reason why it's a reason why his overall impact on the game is 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 not is not more positive than it is. As as we were, you know, we've we've mentioned this a couple times during the year, um, and and you sort of brought it up with with Otto going forward. The Wizards would be a better team if they figured out how to get more of Otto's. Uh, get more of Morris's shots in into Otto's hands yes. to run more through Otto than through Morris and and to get Morris to accept a a more supporting role. I'm not saying that that's an easy thing, but if Morris focused on only shooting open threes and really focused on not turning the ball over, uh, you know the, the Wizards would be would be a better team offensively. And 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 look. I mean, credit Scott Brooks for getting Morris to um, 
to stop taking 20 footers and to and to get his feet behind the line and 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 start shooting threes and and making teams account for him and if he can get better in that regard in the offseason that'll help but his ability to help the team is going to depend on his ability to to rein in the negative plays plain and simple yeah if this is a point i mean i think we've discussed this a few times but players can be more can be very effective by focusing on what they do well and doing those things and not trying to do everything not trying to do all the things that the stars get credit for now you need players who do lots of things lebron is great because he can take bad shots and and make them right he could take heavily contested two three men on him fading away long range and he can make them or he can break the defense down so that he can take a well-defended possession and still get points out of it but not everybody can do that that's the difference between like lebron and markeith morris is that markeith morris can't do those things and so one of just a couple differences yeah well yeah one of a few but that's one of the key differences that's the difference between like michael jordan and jerry stackhouse you know is that stackhouse could do some of that you know he could break things down but he couldn't do it efficiently and so he would use lots of possessions and they wouldn't be very efficient because he was taking lots of bad shots and because he was taking difficult shots that he really couldn't make versus like jordan who could take difficult shots and make them or he could take impossible situations and get a good shot out of them you know yeah so well that's and then but you think about another player like deandre jordan for example is an all-star and he's all NBA, and he's done that by really focusing on just a few things. He he takes at rim shots, he plays defense, he rebounds. That's about all he does. And he's making yeah. a huge amount of money. He's one of the most productive players in the league. He's a terrific player. He's all NBA. He's an all star. He's got commercials. You know, he's got all of these things. And really, like I said, he just does a few things. Ben Wallace is a guy who is like that too. You know, he'll probably be in the Hall of Fame. And he won a championship because he focused on at-rim shots, playing defense, rebounding. And yep. uh, if and Markeith Morris would do that, he, he'd be a better player. He'd be a more yeah. helpful player for the Wizards than the guy who goes out there now. It's, um, it, it's, it, it's hard because these guys get to the NBA in large part by being stars in high school and in college, and 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 that stardom involves doing more of everything, and so yeah. given given the ego that comes along with that, it's very difficult to say, okay, you're you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Now mm-hmm. there's a there's a segue in there as it relates to the Wizards' woefully unproductive bench mm-hmm. in 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 the playoffs because you know I saw a a, a tweet or a headline that. Kelly Oubre is going to be working um, working out with Bradley Beal over the summer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of that's like, oh, you know, Beal got so much better over the summer. And part of me looks at that and says, man, I, I don't want Kelly Oubre to try to become Bradley Beal. I want Kelly Oubre to, to try to become Trevor Ariza and, and to become a, a smart and great perimeter defender who, who can score at the rim, make three-pointers, and not hurt his team in other ways. And the reason that Oubre 
could could not earn Scott Brooks' trust to get on the floor in in Game Seven is because he he was he was too negative in the other areas of his game. Now he may yeah. have had a knee issue going on as well, but you know well, I, I think he needs to stay in his lane, right? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I agree, sir. Now um, the thing I was going to say is that one of the things that is helpful for Young players, I think that I would love for young players to look at what Kawhi Leonard did in San Antonio. And when Kawhi got to San Antonio, he wasn't the fully formed Megatron <laughs> opponent wrecker that he is now, right? He, what he did was he played defense, he shot threes, you know, threes and layups. His That was his offense. He was a low usage player. I mean, one of his top comps from when, you know, his rookie year from his first couple of years was Otto Porter. He was very much an Otto Porter type of player where he shot threes, he hit shots, you know, close to the rim when he when he had them and he played defense and he rebounded and he blended in. And then he continued working on his game to the point where now he can do lots of things and he's an absolute superstar, one of the best players in the league, one of the most productive players in the league. And that's one of the reasons why San Antonio had a great year even after, you know, Tim Duncan retired and you know, Tony Parker faded and Manu Ginobili has faded. San Antonio is still good because Kawhi Leonard grew from a limited role, doing only a few things, doing those things well, mastering those things, and then adding to his game. And if Oubre could follow that kind of model where he says, like you said, this summer I'm going to focus on hitting open threes and I'm going to focus on playing great defense without fouling and I'm going to do those things. And that's all he does. You know, basically dunk when he's under the rim and hit threes and play defense. He's going to be a good player. You know, he he would be a very productive player. And then next summer, come back and add the dribble drive stuff, add the step back jumpers, add that kind of stuff so that you can expand your role and you can do more things. Absolutely yeah. do that stuff. But you, you, the point is, is do it, the limited stuff first. Focus on a few things. Do those things great and then add. Yeah, it's the it's the walk before you run yeah uh for a version of player development and the, the and the, the analogy is that if you don't know how to walk and you try to run you'll 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 fall flat on your face and so the hope is is that it can be a step-by-step incremental process and this is where you know th- this is the wizards first off season with scott brooks who is supposedly here in in large reason for his ability to, v- to develop players and they have a lot of they have several young players who you hear they would like to develop into into contributors and and we'll see can can Sheldon Mack or Sadoransky or Ubre or Ochefu or some combination thereof turn into viable rotation players next year it's going to depend on what they do this summer yep and 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 then we'll see how valuable Scott Brooks and his player development culture really is yeah Absolutely. And, uh, you know, something I really believe about young players, there are many young players who could be NBA players. And the difference is, and could be terrific NBA players. And the difference really is in how much and how smart they work, particularly in the offseason. And, you know, there's a lot of talk on the internet where, you know, we need a big man coach. We need this kind of coach. We need a player development coach. We need all these coaches. And yet coaches are helpful and certainly to check in on, but really there's no substitute for a player going into the gym 
and working on the, on his game. You know, getting up 500, 1,000 shots a day in the offseason, you know, really focusing on form and follow through, setting your feet, following through, you know, going through the drills correctly because you know that that's how you do it and you, you know how, you're do, how to do it because you've talked with a coach and you know the drill. You know, I think to, like, for example, music. My son sons are both musicians. They take lessons. The typical is you take a lesson every week. You check in with your coach every week and you have like an hour lesson and you play for him and he says, gives you a few tips. He corrects a few things. Hey, try this. You try it. And then he gives you a few things and the kid goes home and they practice all week. And then they go back and they get more coaching. But much of the work is done on your own. And there really is no obstacle to a player, no matter how obscure, working on their game. They don't necessarily need coaches. There's lots of instructional video out there. There's lots of ways that guys can improve if they want. And also, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have never met a coach who would be dismissive of a player calling up and saying, coach, I want to work on my game. What should I work on? Or could you come and show me a few things? Every coach I know is going to jump on that, especially in the offseason when they have time. And and look, this is this is very Malcolm Gladwell about uh, you know a little bit of the ten thousand hour rule and and talent being you know shorthand for the interest or ability to to practice and 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 we'll see. You know there are there there are other guys who are out there for other teams who are going to spend their summers working their butts off also and 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 we're just gonna have to see and 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 the 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 off season and starting to peer in the off season is sort of an appropriate place to leave things because that's where we are now as wizards fans the, the season's over and uh in in the coming days and weeks we will dig very deeply into um who the wizards uh have here what they can do to uh, improve this roster and 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 or, or or whether or not you know 49 wins and and a second round exit is is about what they're going to be able to expect in the future yeah uh yeah that's uh, exactly right and we can get an early start on analyzing their first round pick for this year chris mccullough that's right that's right <laughs> remember becker and broom listeners whenever you see a tweet or read a quote that the Wizards view Chris McCullough as uh, as their first round pick. You have to drink something if you're not of legal age. You know, make a chocolate milk or something like that. But yeah, Chris McCullough, first round pick. Yeah. So uh, that that's a good place to wrap. As always, subscribe to Becker and Broom on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or however you listen to your podcasts. Check out Kevin at Broom underscore Kevin on Twitter. That's again, that's at Broom underscore Kevin. You can find his Wizards-related work, of course, on Bullets Forever. Keep an eye out for something from both of us soon on Otto Porter. Um, You can also check out KevinBroom.com for Kevin's other writing, including his upcoming mystery novel. I am on Twitter, at underscore Ben Becker. And until next time, Wizards fans, this is Becker and Broom on Bullets Forever. Bullets Forever.